Hello and welcome. I, I don't feel like saying good morning is right this morning because there's things going on locally um, in our country and then further abroad that some not good things are happening. Welcome to Kiwanda Life this morning. And we've already mentioned some of the things going on and we are prayerful even while we're singing these songs to God. The events of the world aren't far behind, are they? And God can hear, I love that, where's um, Annette? The groan, I love that phrase, that phrase since I heard it. There's, there's groans inside of us that we can't even express. And God hears those groans and I think he's hearing those groans this morning. So this morning we're going to continue looking at God being with us. And I've titled the message, Not All Who Wander Are Lost. And that will become clear, hopefully, as the message continues. Over the past few weeks, we've been hearing about how our physical Bibles have played a part in our spiritual formation. So this morning, I bought a few of mine. I've just left them down on the, the table there, but I've also taken photos. Is that going to take too long? Yeah, Joey, you take control. So this was my first Bible. Not my first, but it was my, my youth Bible. So I took this to youth group every week. And... And I have experiences with this Bible where God spoke to me. Passages jumped out of the page at me. I can't find those passages anymore, even when I look through that Bible. But what I do remember of that Bible is the smell. <laughs> so, the smell of the pages in that Bible is different to anything else. And as you guys know, smells bring back memories. So that, that Bible holds special memories for me. But then the next one, actually... If you have a look at it, it was presented to somebody called Colin Stafford. Anyway, the next Bible. (laughs) There we go. See, Colin ceased to exist at some stage, and Nat appeared. But this Bible, this was my Bible that I used for about 20 years. And it, it was the one I took to Cornerstone. Largely, it's the one I used at Bible College until I heard that the NIV was re releasing their Bible and changing a few things. So I bought the 1980s translation in leather bound because they were on special. And that's the important thing. It it was on special. (laughs) This is a Bible I used for for 20 years. And next slide, if I can. This is when I started writing in the margins. And there's method to my madness of showing you my scribbles in my Bibles. I'm looking around. Is anyone disgusted? There's people that are disgusted. Um, but I want to encourage you this morning to do the same. So you've got to get rid of these ones here. Like you can highlight things in this, but it's not the same thing. And I really want to encourage you to take your Bibles and get a pen and write in the thing. Because as I'm going to share with you, there's so much in this thing. And we need to to spend as much time in it as we can learning everything that God has for us. My new Bible looks like this already. Donnie gave it to me this year. Is that... Now, I've I've given up down here with the slides. There we go. That's like the first couple of pages I got it this year because I've started reading Genesis again, and you know what? There's so much there. And 
I'm saying this to you because a couple of years ago, a number of years ago, I heard this phrase, the Bible is basic instruction before leaving earth. And it really troubled me. Like, I understand what they're trying to do. They're trying to say the Bible is really important for you to read. But um, it's not. It's not basic. It's an amazing piece of literature, and it can be studied for a lifetime. And I can write in, in the margins of my Bible for 20 years, and I still won't even scratch the surface of what's there in the Bible. That's why I write in the, in the margins of my Bible, because there's things that me as a Westerner in 2022, I don't just get when I read it straight away. I have to do some digging, some digging deeper. I like that. <laughs> we, we, um, we have to do that to understand what's in the Bible. And the, the Bible is also not just a list of instructions. I don't doubt that God could have given us a list of instructions of what to do, and what not to do. But he didn't. Because a list of instructions has these things. It has a title. It has a list of what you need, like equipment and ingredients. It's written in clear, short sentences. If you've ever read Romans, it's not written in clear, short sentences. Numbered steps. If you've ever read Romans, it's not numbered steps. And illustrations or pictures. Page one of my Bible says... In the beginning, Elohim created the sky and the land. And then it launches into a tale of loss, of death, of love, of destruction, of betrayal, (laughs) and so much more. That doesn't sound like a list of instructions to me. Because God left us with a story. A story of, of a people chosen by him with all their failures their ignorance, their blatant disobedience. And he takes these people and uses them for his story, a story of how he is rescuing humanity. Some might say, but Nat, what about the laws? Surely the laws are a list of things to do and not to do. Well, yes and no. When we read the parts of the Bible that give us the law, It happens in the context of a story. In Exodus, God gives his people some laws. And then we read of how they ignore the laws and the consequences for ignoring the laws. And then God gives some more laws. And we read the story of how God's people ignored those laws and the consequences they faced. So the Bible is not basic, and nor is it merely a list of laws to obey Actually, the whole book of Leviticus illustrates how obedience to a list of laws doesn't actually lead to a change of heart. And it's a change of heart that's needed for humans to be in right relationship with God. The best description I've heard for the Bible is the Bible is a unified story that points to Jesus. And I think that the reason God's left us with a story rather than a list of instructions is that stories can change hearts. Think about any story. There's usually a clear line between where the characters are at the beginning and where they need to be. But they never follow that clear path. So I'm going to use the illustration of the Lord of the Rings. Who's read the Lord of the Rings? 
Now, I'm really sad because it was released in 1955, so you've had over 70 years to read it. So I might spoil it for you, but I think you've had a chance. (laughs) The Lord of the Rings is basically about a magical ring that needs to be destroyed. That's it. As it turns out, one of the main characters has the ability to control large birds. Something you find out if you read the story. But if that's true, why didn't they fly the birds over the mountain, destroy the ring, 15 minutes later, we're done. It could be done in a list of instructions, couldn't it? So it has a title, The Lord of the Rings. The title of the instruction list is Destroy the Ring. What we need, huge birds that can carry humans, the ring we want to destroy, the fires of Mordor, where the ring can be destroyed, and the numbered list of instructions, fly to Mordor, distract the evil king who's protecting it, Sauron, fly over Mordor, throw the ring into the fiery chasm from whence it came, fly home. (laughs) Did we cover it all? Title? Yep, I think, I think we've covered everything we need to in the list of instructions. <laughs> but it's not the same, is it? A list of instructions does not impact us as much as a story. The Lord of the Rings is about more than achieving the, the task of destroying the ring. It's about bravery exhibited by four small hobbits. It's about friendship. It's about loss. It's about loyalty. It's about forgiveness. And it's about things that are larger than the characters involved. A story changes us deeper than any list of instructions ever could. Did anyone recognise, I don't think so by the amount of hands that went up, but did anyone recognise where I got the title of this message from? One person. Oh, three. Woohoo! Nice. It's a line from a poem that's found in The Lord of the Rings. And the full stanza that it's found in is this. All that is gold does not glitter. Not all who wander are lost. The old that is strong does not wither. Deep roots are not reached by the frost. This is what stories have that lists of instructions do not provide. Stories cultivate deep roots because they take time. They enable us to discern authentic treasure. But for some reason, we humans like lists about and making it all about obeying the rules. So I want you to turn to Deuteronomy 8 today. I, do, I really want to get rid of the phone that has the thing on it. I really want to see people writing in their Bibles from now on. I don't know if you're ever going to do that, but that's my desire for you. <laughs> so I'm going to just read through a bit here, and we're going to flip from Deuteronomy 8, and then a little bit later we're going to go into Matthew. So if you need to work out where that is, get your finger ready in Matthew as well. Deuteronomy 8 says, Be careful to follow every command I am giving you today so that you may live and increase and may enter and possess the land the Lord has promised on oath to your ancestors. There's a danger already, isn't there? Because we can look at that verse and say, See that? It's clear. Obey the rules. That's it. But then if we keep reading... It's always an idea. I love, I love the gears where they've got the don't let friends, friends don't let friends read Bible verses. You need to read Bible passages. I love that. Because if we keep reading, it says, 
Remember how the Lord your God led you all the way in the wilderness these 40 years to humble and test you in order to know what was in your heart, whether or not you would keep his commands. There's a journey going on. God took his people on a journey of testing, of trials, of overcoming. A story. This journey has now become a story for all generations to come, including us. That's our story. God wrote his people into a story. And why did he do that? Verse 3 tells us, He humbled you, causing you to hunger and then feeding you with manna, which neither you nor your ancestors had known, to teach you that man does not live on bread alone, but uh, but every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. God says to his people, Your story taught you more than information. It gave you experience, experience of hunger, A list cannot tell you what hunger feels like. But not just a hunger for food, a hunger for the presence of God. Lists of instructions have their place, but they can never achieve the level of heart change that's required. But a story catches our hearts, our imaginations and our thoughts, and a story can transform us. Verse 5 in this morning's reading. Know then in your heart that that as a man disciplines his son, so the Lord God disciplines you. Know then in your heart that as a man disciplines his son, so the Lord God disciplines you. Discipline's a good thing. The problem is, when we read the word discipline through our Western cultural lenses... We read a synonym to punishment. Discipline may involve punishment, but not always, and not as often as I think it's assumed. Discipline involves, first and foremost, relationship. On a personal note, this is something I think that many educators and teachers have forgotten. Discipline provides scaffolding around people so that they can learn. And that happens through relationship. It doesn't happen any other way. To learn more than merely mimicking behaviour, discipline leads to character change. Or in biblical language, it leads to heart change. God is putting his people through testing and trials, not so that they will fail, but to build them up so that they have strong character. One huge difference between discipline and punishment is that you have to be present to discipline. Punishment can happen from a distance. Discipline, does that change the the way you hear that word? Discipline requires presence. And God was present with his people as he trained them to trust him. For 40 years. It doesn't take long, however, when we're reading the Bible before we start to recognise that there's some numbers that get repeated. Forty years in the wilderness. It rained for 40 days and 40 nights. Jesus fasted in the wilderness for 40 days and 40 nights. 
This is the fascinating thing. Numbers in the Bible mean something. So I encourage you to highlight the number 40 whenever whenever you see it appear. Because it points to something else. It points to a time of testing and proving. A time of training through adversity. A time of discipline. It Was it literally 40 years, 40 days, 40 nights? Probably not. It might have been less. It might have been more. This is another thing stories can do that instructions can't. Stories can use language to describe more than the words that they're using. The 40 years was not about the time spent at the 39th and 364th day. They weren't going, glad there's one more day to go. It's about the testing. Israel were in the wilderness for the right amount of time for them to learn. Because it takes time for real heart change to occur. So if the Bible is this story that's unified, that points to Jesus, where is he in this story? God's people went through this time of testing and being disciplined and trained, but it was not long until they were back to disobeying God again. God promised his saviour will come who will be the way that humanity can reconcile to God. Now, if you turn to Matthew 4 for a moment, but keep your finger in Deuteronomy 8. Jesus is a descendant of one of those tribes who wandered in the wilderness for 40 years. And when he's baptised, the Spirit leads him into the wilderness to be tested by Satan for 40 days. There's a connection there. And just in case we don't see that connection, what does Jesus say to Satan? Man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Does that sound familiar this morning? He's quoting Deuteronomy to the devil. And if you want to start writing things in your Bible like I do, then these are the sorts of things that I write. Satan was used to getting his way. He was used to tempting God's people and watching the havoc that he caused unfold. But not so with Jesus, the one who is fully man and fully God. This was the beginning of the end for Satan's power over humanity. And Jesus says to Satan, I know that you've been, what you've been doing to my people all these years, right back to the Israelites in the wilderness, but your time is up. And when Jesus is about to ascend to heaven after his resurrection, he says to his disciples, Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teach them to obey everything I have commanded you. Hang on. Where have I heard that before? Go back to Deuteronomy 8. Be careful to follow every command I am giving you today so that you may live and increase and may enter and possess the land the Lord promised on oath to your ancestors. We are not about to enter the promised land that Israel was faced, but we are living on the verge of the kingdom of God coming in all its fullness. Our promised land is not so much a geographical location. Our promised land is the return of Jesus as the rightful king. Jesus has left us with this promise and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. 
The one who passed the test, who was proven to be righteous, the one who lived a life without sin, is right here with us. Something I often do when I speak to an affront is to say, I hope that you have had a week walking with Jesus. If you've had a tough week, Jesus was right there beside you. And if you've had a great week, I hope that you have remembered that Jesus was right there beside you. This is not something I say because it's a nice greeting. My desire is that you start to recognise Jesus' presence with you, whatever you're going through. Sometimes when it's tough, we cry out, where are you, God? And we've been seeing the Psalms uh, absolutely full of that. And I pray that in these times, God does reveal himself to you. But equally, in times when everything is going well, we can forget that Jesus is right there beside us. I don't know how it's possible, but we forget that Jesus is right there beside us. We have this amazing book that contains a story of God dealing with his people. It's not basic. It's not just a list of instructions. And the most amazing part is that we are a part of this story. We've been given the task of taking this good news, this story of God reconciling his people to himself, to a dying world. How cool is that?